When you love farming, you want to talk about it all the time. Real people, real farms, grassroots. This is the Ontario AgCast. Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agriculture podcasts and agriculture video blogs, be sure to check out farmrealag.com. My guest today is Cody Creelman. Cody is a veterinarian from Alberta. Cody, welcome to the show. Thank you. So this is this is the Ontario Egg Cast. I, I thought I was going to be on the shark farmer today. Oh, oh, I can <laughs> tell this is going to go really well. I think usually he waits about two weeks and then and then you'll be on there. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't wait to use that joke. Been sitting <laughs> on one. it for weeks. Uh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I am on his radio show on Thursday. So. Oh, on Thursday, which, oh, ironically, is the same day that this show is going to be released. So, <laughs> perfect. Works great for me. All right. Hey, so when I was doing the intro, I mean, I usually try and be a little more specific when I introduce somebody, but I didn't know quite how to introduce you today. Right. Yeah, I don't know how to introduce myself either. Now, we got to go a long ways back in the archives to find the old show. And right. That time you were a practicing cattle vet, and today you're unemployed. <laughs> That's right. I remember. <laughs> I remember the the last podcast fondly because I was I was uh, being chaperoned by my vet tech Sienna through a muddy feedlot, trying to talk to you guys about what's going on. Uh, and then, yeah, today um, I don't know if it's any less chaotic. But, uh, yeah, I'm not in clinical practice anymore. You know, I made that joke because you have referred to yourself as unemployed. I wouldn't obviously do that. I, you're a sucker for punishment. Like, you're very open about what you're doing on your YouTube channel. And I watched your live sort of feed. Of course, I watched it when it wasn't live. But it, is it still called a live feed? Do I have that right? <laughs> the, yeah, I, I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> Once was live feed, yeah. Right. And you and I are at sort of different, I think we're actually different generations, but your approach towards sort of digital media is quite a bit more sophisticated and more polished than mine. And you're very comfortable sort of in front of the camera doing your vlogs, whereas I don't even know the difference between a live feed and something I watch on your YouTube channel after the fact. So. You're one of those old fogies that are commenting uh, three weeks later. Yes, we can hear you. We right. can hear you. <laughs> Something like that. Well, that's what the comments on that live feed, you know, like I don't think that I will ask sort of the most inappropriate question that you've probably been asked in the last couple of weeks. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, like somebody asked if there was some inappropriate touching with a, a cow <laughs> on a feedlot. I, I didn't see that you answered that question, but... Uh, so, well, tell us, explain what changed in your life. You, it's fairly significant change. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is a very tricky thing because, you know, I view myself as being one of the most passionate people for for what I did, you know, in the day-to-day, right, in terms of mm-hmm. clinical practice. So I, I fell in love with this profession at age 16. I lived and breathed and ate and slept veterinary medicine. Uh, it was all-consuming. It is all-consuming. I couldn't wait to get into undergrad to try to get into vet school. I couldn't wait to get into vet school. I couldn't wait to start working that first second that I was allowed to start working. And I haven't looked back since. And, and I don't need to convince anybody super passionate about my job or not. I have 300 videos 
but uh, people can be the judge of that. So Right, so and if people want to hear your story on this show, they can go back into the archives and check out the, the first episode that we did. We'll put a link to it. Right. But Thanks. yeah, I don't think the, your passion for it, yeah, that clearly does come across. Yeah, for sure. So it had absolutely nothing to do with with you know me me trying to find myself uh should I've been a swine vet should I've been a cat vet you know this <laughs> this was what I really 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 loved right I, I became a practice owner uh, you know a part part equity practice owner two years out of out of practice and then really enjoyed the business started the social media thing as my niche to, to hyper local marketing or veterinary services. You know, that was such an important part of it was for me, you know, I designed it so I would be top of mind when somebody was thinking about a cow bed, right? Just like if you were right. a tire shop in your small town, you would want to be the first tire shop that people would think of when they needed new tires. So I wanted right. to be the That's first the personal brand that, thing that I hear people talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was a large part of, of what I was doing was try to just be seen as this local expert and that I was personable and somebody that you would trust and want out at your farm. And of course, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but, you know, you have to appeal to the masses. You're not going to appeal to everybody. And it was really great. Extremely good for business. Uh, practice grew at a very rapid pace. Super exciting. Uh, but at the end of the day, and I put out the video when I left, and, and you know, that's kind of the, the level of detail that I can really get into, but we can provide a little bit more context around it. At the end of the day, it was, just, it, it was a business decision and had nothing to do with the practice, and it had nothing to do with veterinary medicine or my stance on animal agriculture. Uh, it was really, is you know strategically is is are we all as partners heading in the right direction heading in the same direction mm-hmm. and it absolutely was not and i i didn't have any other choice so i i ended up leaving the practice right and i think i can kind of get a sense of not everybody was maybe on the same page in terms of where the priorities were is that fair yeah absolutely certainly was a part of it, but not, you know, not the main reason by any means. So much more going on in terms of where, where the practice is going. Nothing unethical, nothing unprofessional, um, but from a, you know, a pure business perspective, it just wasn't jiving. Right. And you are, as a, as a young sort of social media celebrity, you're in tune with sort of the way that the world is going digital. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Right, and I guess that's, yeah, that's your opening, like, I mean, when you communicate with people, you interact with people, that's not always face-to-face. Is that, you know, are there opportunities there, in, you know, in the vet world as well? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I was going to, it, it wasn't a reason why I left, but it certainly was a thing that I am or was excited for and am excited for in the future, Um is in terms of how do I scale the amazing things that I do? I'm trying not to be conceited, but it's it's truly, you know, it's truly amazing. It's it's providing high quality veterinary consulting to cow calf and feedlots uh, that increases their overall profitability and improves animal health and welfare. You know, that's that's what I'm trying to do. The challenge with that in the traditional model is I can only do that 
as far as I can drive my pickup truck in a day, right? right. I can yep. only mm-hmm. scale that as many days in, there is in a year and as many miles that I can drive somewhere, sit down and drive back home. And I've done it a thousand times to drive, you know, 300, 400 kilometers, one direction, sit down with a producer for two hours, provide value and drive back home. So regardless of whether or not I was at the the practice or not, it's something that needs to exist. The the cattle industry is changing exponentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have these amazingly huge herds that are cropping up all over. We have a seemingly mass exodus of producers, just in terms of of total producers, um, out of the industry. Uh, I see a lot of renewed vigor, especially, well, I, I can't speak to the other markets, but you look at Alberta after the, the oil field crash, uh, all these kids that were well-educated, that had really good work experience, lots of common sense, are coming back to the farm, and they are really, really hungry to run their, you know, run the farm now, and, and they're give, being given some latitude to be able to do that the way that they want, and it is absolutely different than the way that it was. These kids have off-farm experience. They're used to, you know, they're used to disseminating information differently. Uh, they're they're used to consuming information. You know, this is the YouTube generation of, oh, I don't know how to do this, but I'll figure it out. I've, I've surprised myself every single day. I need to change a motor in my washing machine. I'm the least right. handy person in the world, but yeah. you know, with the, the glory of the internet, I'm down at Trail Appliances ordering the exact part that I need, and I whip it in, and I prize the hell out of myself that I actually did it, right? Like we right, have sure. all of this information, all of this information out there. Um, and so th- this, is, this is the way of the industry. This is the way that things are changing. And and I was fortunate enough to have a little bit of foresight to be able to get ahead of that because trust is still an important thing when it comes to that type of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Still need to trust in the source. You know, that was always one thing. I remember the early speaking engagements that I was doing. And we're not talking a super long time span, but it's, it's changed so rapidly in my mind. I remember the first producer meetings that I was going to when I was a new veterinarian out in practice and it was wall to wall gray hair in the room. Yeah. Um, the, the average clientele, it was wall to wall gray hair. Uh, when I think back to the last producer meeting that I was at, completely different demographic, completely, like it couldn't be more nine day of the, mm-hmm. these amazing young ranchers with their eye on a thousand cow herds uh, looking out. So I remember speaking engagements early on. I was trying to, I remember one of my first speaking engagements was the Western Canadian Association of Bovine Practitioners. Talk about a room with wall-to-wall gray hair. That was the that was the one that had it right. And I'm standing up there in 2000. I think it was like 2013. And I'm trying to convince these guys that you know this is the wave of the future. And if you guys are disseminating information and creating personal brands and 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 marketing in the in the year that it actually is, that it's going to get tougher and tougher. And right. And I remember one one old. Calvac got up and said, my producers, my clients are not on Facebook. They're not on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Like, well, how can I ever reach them? I said, I'm not marketing to those guys. I'm marketing to the 14-year-old that's going to be the one who's running it when he's 20. And like that time frame has already gone through. I remember all these little kids that were following me on, on Snapchat early days. They're full-on running these operations now. Right. And, and so in a lot of ways, then, this change for you is just one 
of a string of changes that has happened in the vet industry. Like the only thing that you can count on being consistent is that everything changes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much change happening. You know, I, I spend way too much time thinking about what the face of the veterinary industry in terms of how we service food animal looks like. And it just, I know what it's going to look like. I just can't even believe what it's going to look like, though. Like, the, there's going to be these veterinarian dead zones that already exist across the U.S. and in a lot mm-hmm. of parts of, of rural Canada where there was, you know, there was vibrant four or six vet you know, veterinarian vet practices that were whipping out three, 400 C-sections a year. And, and, you know, these communities were hopping and, and these vet clinics were hopping. And now there's not a single vet to be found in these areas, but there's still the same amount of cows. They, now they don't need the same level of service per se. They're, they don't need as many obstetrical, you know, units of, of veterinarians doing those C-sections and calvings, but there's still a great need, especially when it comes to to that overall profitability. So how do you disseminate that great information to those people, even if you can't necessarily be providing the traditional services? And I, I don't think you can have both anymore. Like, I don't know if if this will be clear, but when you're a veterinarian in, in leader Saskatchewan, all you're doing is trying to keep it all together through professional services, right? You have a right. thousand yep. things to do. You have 25,000 cows to break test and you have 3,000 bulls to semen test and you have all of these obstetrical cases. You do not have the time to think about consulting. You do not have the time. How, do, how would I put together 12 hours of high-quality consulting for my clientele so they understand all of the, you know, the, the base necessities, the beef cattle um, nutrition rules of some, when to intervene when it comes to calving, how do we, you know, vaccination tips and tricks. How are you ever going to disseminate that information? And on the flip side, if that's all you wanted to do as a veterinarian, you know, in a traditional sense is be just a cow-calf consultant, I don't know how you would make a living because you don't have the other things, right? You don't have the pharmaceutical sales, and stuff, which subsidizes everything. You don't have the, the professional services. Uh, you know, preg testing a thousand cows in a day is pretty decent money that, that allows you to be able to, to keep the lights on. So I don't know how it exists all together at once unless you have somebody who's able to scale the consulting right. in the digital age. Right. So you're going to spend less time with your hand up a cow's ass and you're going to spend more time <laughs> analyzing numbers and, you know, advising people on what's good for their operation. Yeah, I think the the opportunity exists there. You know, they, it's certainly not going to be even to the extent of like, my cow has pink eye, what do I treat with? You know, that my cow herd has pink eye. Is, is there a vaccine? Sort of bigger picture stuff. It's out there for sure. Yeah. And and yeah. that's what that's what those on the ground veterinarians certainly are, are great at too, right? Answering those types of phone calls, setting up uh, vaccination protocols, getting the prescription signed off, you know, there's a ton of regulatory and, and you know, legal stuff that needs to happen in order for a veterinarian to to make a recommendation, create a medical record, create a prescription and dispense on that prescription. And and that's you know, that's is still extremely necessary, um, but there certainly is an opportunity for there to be a bit of, of um, a, a bit of a disruption in in the yep. consulting space. Right, and so then, um, as it is today, you would then like 
as a consultant, work with sort of the herd veterinarian of record? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a great, you know, that's a great segue. One of the things that I think I was always frustrated with, and, and this didn't, this wasn't doesn't have anything to do with what happened at the practice, but one of the things I was always just fascinated with is, you know, a mixed animal veterinarian in, in Leader Saskatchewan would come across a complicated case in a dog and they would refer it to the Regina Emergency Center in, in a heartbeat, right? This referral culture, no problem. This is out of my league. I will refer it to the expert. In the beef right. cattle world, in the food animal world, that doesn't really exist. You know, I don't have a, when, I, when I'm a veterinarian at another veterinary practice, I don't have this long list of referral herds coming in of, you know, this vet in leader Saskatchewan that has a 2,000 head feedlot that is having some problems with riding or conversion and, and needs its implant protocol revamped. I'm not getting that with thorough, right? I may be getting that client because they just mm-hmm. are now looking for an alternative option, but that collaboration with the veterinarian does not exist. And you can imagine why, right? You can imagine um, the fear being that veterinarian of saying, oh, I'm going to turn it over to this professional consulting CalVet practice. I'm going to lose this client and I don't want to right. lose there's, this Right. There's, there's a, pr- a protectiveness. Practice, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's sure. that protection. Whereas when it's the dog that needs the surgery that you can't provide, you know, you're not losing a, a $100,000 account, right? Yeah. So, of course, that exists when you have somebody who's selling pharmaceuticals, who has the ability to do that consulting, who will run out and, you know, get on the WestJet plane and fly out to Regina and do the preg test for the day and fly back home. So that collaboration just does not exist to any great extent within, you know, within the beef cattle space. But I would love to be able to now have the ability to have that relationship because I'm not selling drugs. I'm not prey testing. I'm I'm not taking anything away. I hope that I get to augment that even further. And I love that. I have six other veterinary practices that I'm a partner in. So I'm a partner you know, a minority equity stake in these other practices across Alberta and Saskatchewan. And I love nothing more than getting phone calls from my veterinarians um, with beef cattle issues. So I get to do this already. And it's, it's extremely satisfying to, to walk them through these specific cases. Right. And it takes a certain kind of personality to be that collaborator, you know, who's coming in to work with a team of, of people that's already in place. And, and when you come in, you know, because of some of the digital stuff that you do, people will already be a little bit familiar with sort of what your opinions and attitudes are. Yeah, for sure. And like we alluded to before, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but that's some people's cup of tea, right? So yeah, that's kind of the thing that I get to offer in front is you may trust me as a human being. What you see is what you get. And you may respond well to my style of communication, which is yeah. very, if you know, very conversational. I'm not going to be printing out 5,000 pages of a SOP or a protocol and just say, read this and then call me if you have any <laughs> questions, right? Right, right. I'm guessing it's going to be a little more sort of back and forth than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very different type of thing. Even if it's one way, like take my podcast, for example. Uh, I'll just talk about a disease and I'll just talk about it for 45 minutes without taking a breath. 
and have diarrheaed all of my information out onto the floor. <laughs> and usually it's pretty effective for people to be able to take a few points out of there and, and apply it to their operation. I get tons of comments. Wait, you mean you mean people listen to your podcast and they actually learn something? Right? I know. I know. Not just well, for my uh... not just for my good looks and my beautiful radio <laughs> voice. <laughs> well, you do have a very nice speaking voice and just nobody's ever told you. <laughs> we can't all be the shark farmer, right? Oh, well, does the world need more of the shark farmer? I can't remember. Okay, so this is going to be something where you're, yeah, you're, you're not going to be doing some of the things that you've been doing for a number of years now. What are you going to miss the most about sort of being out on farm doing the actual vet practice stuff every day? 100% my clients. You know, that's yeah. a question I get all the time of what is your favorite thing about your job? Or the other question is, why cows? Why did you become a cow vet? And my answer is always the same. It is because of cow people. I said, I love small animal orthopedics. I love cat medicine. But have you ever met a cat person before? <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I, yeah, yeah, I've met a few. Yeah. <laughs> right? I thought I was going to be a Kentucky equine vet when I was in my first year of undergrad. No joke. And then I met a bunch of horse people. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't worry, don't worry. There's no horse people listening to this podcast. You're you're good. You're good. <laughs> so it was truly the people, like you know these these are my people. These are the people that I grew up with. These are the salt of the earth, the best, most practical, caring, humble, passionate, romantic uh, people that exist in the world. Like. There is no greater feeling for me to to walk into to Three Hills Hutterite Colony and just be greeted like like a brother, like a friend. You know, that's what I love the most. The, the going and practicing the 200 cows that comes after during, like, I don't even really think about that part because I'm standing there with my with my buddy Johan and my buddy Jake, and we're we're having a great conversation and catching up and and solving the world's uh, <laughs> deep mysteries and and just having you know having so much fun. And that's you know that's truly what I'll miss. You know, just the. The, the hugs and the dinners and and sometimes the cold beer after a long day of work like those are the types of things that that I'm just gonna miss so incredibly much is that is that human connection in in the real world with my with my ranchers okay well that's very touching and uh, heartfelt but I think the answer I was looking for was you're gonna miss needing the bloody bread dough that is a, a uterine prolapse <laughs> oh, you were vision for the prolapse. Well, that's a close <laughs> second. That all is right, a close right. second, and if yeah, and I might still have to provide that, um, you know, uh, that service. Just kind of throwing it out there to the world. Like I'm retired from clinical practice. Unless somebody has a uterine prolapse, then I'll just uh, I'll just slap on a you know you know those garbage bag raincoats that you make. I'll just throw one of those on and run out in my sneakers and we'll be able to take care of it no problem right and then everybody will be able to watch it on youtube (laughs) i didn't even think about that part yeah right and you're fairly open well you're very open sort of sharing not just stuff from the veterinary world but your personal life and your your growing family walk me through kind of like the reaction from your wife Diana, you know, when you give her this news or you start talking about making this kind of major change right she's She's, yeah. she's a patient woman. We all know that. 
is, oh, was she have, supportive of this? I mean, absolutely. She was she was supportive of it before I was supportive of it. Her biggest thing was she saw in me that person. You know, I'm the most. I was the most disgusting person in the world, right? I went. I went nine <laughs> years without one percent unhappiness. Like no word of a lie. A hundred percent happiness. It was so annoying and disgusting to her that I was running out the door with a huge smile on my face and couldn't get to get to work. And she mm-hmm. knew that, you know, that, that that was my first love that all of that stuff. Right. And, but when she saw, I don't know if she saw when, when it was the 1% or the, when I was at the 10%, you know, frustration or unhappiness because things were changing and, and I was recognizing that this maybe wasn't what I wanted to be part of anymore or, or wouldn't be able to control it the way that I that I thought that it should be controlled. She's, she's, a, she's the one that said to me, you need to be very careful in this situation because if you make a decision that you can't go back on, I don't know if I can live with seeing you being sad. You know, yeah. seeing that frustration creep in. She was ahead of it months before I was ahead of it. I was in denial saying like, Oh, I think I'll be able to manage this. I think it'll be all okay. And she's, she's the one that's saying, I don't know, man, this is weird. There's something going on here and we better be very cognizant of what's going on. And she was a hundred percent right. You know, she was months ahead of me, a hundred percent right. It couldn't have, you know, it, it was too close to me for me to be able to be clear about it. So from her perspective... As we established, she is the brains of the operation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I don't think I'm anything of the operation. <laughs> well, it's good that if you have the, the right person in your life, they are the one that makes you the best version of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's watched all of this unfold and, you know, she knew me long before I was... I was a veterinarian. Um, you know, I was this this neurotic undergrad student working my butt off, just trying to to live a dream. And she was standing there as tears were streaming down my face, holding. My phone. She was there to take a picture of me in our basement suite on my first day of veterinary school, just like a proud mom. You know, she was there to the first uterine prolapse call that I was having a panic attack driving out to because I had never seen a uterine prolapse before and I wasn't sure (laughs) I would be able to fix it. You know, she's been through it all with me and she knows she knows me better than I know me. So so she's been so incredibly supportive of of this this new thing, this new life, and and we're super excited for what we have planned. There's um, you know, we have a lot planned coming up, a lot of new opportunities that we'll be able to grab onto. You know, outside of me doing any sort of consulting or modules or anything like that, we're we're gearing up for a family adventure. We pulled my oldest son out of grade one, and we're homeschooling him now. And we're going to go on a great big family adventure together and, and see what the world brings to us. That's awesome. It, it sounds really exciting and invigorating. And when you look at this and you look at sort of the industry that you're a part of, are you optimistic about, you know, like the Canadian beef industry? What's it going to take to be successful for these young ranchers? What do you see going ahead? Yeah. So optimistic, yes, because I, you know, I believe it is a, you know, it is a wholesome and sustainable industry. 
but they have to be adaptable. They have to be thinking. They have to start treating the industry like a business. This, if you look at the historical record of in Canada, I'm not saying it was easy. I'm not saying anybody got rich out of it. But to some extent, you could subsidize it with an off-farm job. It was subsidized to some extent, or to a great extent, with increasing land values, right? If you look at mm-hmm. what land values yeah, have done sure. over the last 75 years, you know, a thousand, no, it's not even an exaggeration. What my grandpa Mulligan in Beaver Lodge, Alberta, bought his land for in his lifetime and then sold it for in his lifetime, it was a thousand X growth mm-hmm. of yeah. land value, right? He could have been the shittiest cattle rancher <laughs> in the world and still have turned a profit, right? In, yep. in terms mm-hmm. of like the whole operation because of the increase of his land value. So that's not going to happen anymore, right? If somebody coming into the industry right now thinks there's going to be a thousand X increase in land over the next 50 years, it's just, it's not going to happen. So one of the biggest take homes for what do, what does a Canadian cattle rancher um, need to need to be careful of need to look for is we have to start running these operations like businesses and not like hobbies. I totally get the romance. I get why it's such a beautiful lifestyle. I get why anybody would want to go and ride their horse around. And I, it's grueling work. It's absolutely grueling work, but you have to know what your break evens are. You have to know what your cost of production is. You have to make hard decisions to ensure that you have at least, one dollar in the black at the end of the year on your bottom line like it just it has to be that way otherwise then this has been very very interested in watching of these other technologies as well that i think could potentially disrupt you know as a general concept Cody believes that all industries are disrupted by technology you know i'm mm-hmm. not even i'm not even just talking about agriculture right now you just transportation got disrupted by the car. The ice industry was disrupted. Yeah. The food industry, agriculture disrupted hunting and gathering, right? Every, so, so every industry that has ever existed in the entirety of the world, entire history, and for the entire future of human history will be disrupted by technology and beef cattle production is no different. There will be something at some time point where there is a massive disruption that we have to be ready for. And this is why I started looking at areas like cellular agriculture. I just went down that path because I was looking to see where Cargill was spending their money mm-hmm. after they divested yep. out of their feedlots in the U.S. And I saw they invested yep. in this company called Memphis Meats, and I had no yep. idea what that is. And I looked into the technology, and before I knew it, I was speaking at MIT at the New Harvest Cellular Agriculture Conference uh, last year, rubbing shoulders and elbows with all of these industry leaders in the cellular agriculture space, I found myself all of a sudden the, the representative for the entire agriculture industry talking to the cellular agriculture people. And it is absolutely a potential for disruption. And I'm not saying if it should disrupt or, or I don't say that I agree with their naming and I don't say that I agree with, with their marketing. Cody, it doesn't have to be an us versus them, an all or nothing kind of a thing. There is, if we're open-minded and, and are prepared to work with this technology and, and with these people, there are things that we can gain from that as well. 
100%. And that was my exact talk when I was there. And that has been reinforced over and over with my connections to this industry is animal agriculture is the one that has all the money. You know, it's still a $1 trillion industry globally. But on the flip side, these people got some amazing science that I would love access to. And they can solve problems that we have in animal agriculture that we don't even know we have. You know, that's my soapbox on it is, is they can do some amazing things already and we can pay for it and we help them and they help us and the industry goes forward because I'm frustrated when I go to a Hutterite colony and I, you know, sit in a combine and look at all the amazing technology that the crop farmers have been using for the last 10 years and think, where's my technology? Why don't I have this cool thing? Where's my precision egg? And then I go and I start walking around MIT and I randomly bump up to this guy and what he does and he's carrying around a pocket-sized genome sequencer i'm like so you can (laughs) sequence a cow's genome right now he's like oh yeah he's like i could do one better i could sequence the genome in the snot of all the viruses and bacteria i'm like how much does that cost he's like about the same cost as it costs to flush a toilet i'm like you've got to be kidding me you can genome sequence cow snot tell me what viruses i need to protect against tell me what the resistance pattern of the bacteria that's in its snot and then also tell me how susceptible or resistant this cow is to pneumonia you have it in your pocket and it costs zero dollars to actually do and we can do it shoot side but you don't know that i have this problem so we can't solve it together like it's just yeah it's unbelievable i i brushed up to another girl and i I asked her what she did. She's this researcher in New York, and she said she makes immunoglobulins. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that humans could make immunoglobulins. And she's like, oh, yeah, no, it's super simple. I'm like, do you know anything about colostrum? <laughs> she's like, yeah, I know what colostrum is. I'm like, yeah, so so you're telling me that you could make colostrum? She's like, oh, I could do better. I don't need to actually make the immunoglobulin. I just need to make um, immunoglobulins that kind of look like what they need to look like. So I'm like, you could make a designer colostrum product. She's like, yeah. I'm like, how much would that cost? She's like, Oh, it's super cheap. Like $0. Like I could make, (laughs) I I could make a designer colostrum product for no money. I'm like, why are we not using this technology? I could walk into my feed store and plug in the diseases I want to, you know, I want to protect against, and I get a this custom designer colostrum bag that pops out that costs a dollar. Like, what is what is going think, on here? So it is. I think I figured out what your new title needs to be, Cody. I think your new title <laughs> needs to be, yeah, Cody Creelman, disruptive cow vet. <laughs> disruptive cow. Well, I, I do manage to disrupt a lot of things. Absolutely. <laughs> but I've stayed, I've stayed abreast with this, you know, with this industry. Um, I was down in, in San Francisco last year. I went and toured the, the Just um, headquarters. Just is famous for making an egg product out of mung beans. Mm-hmm. Uh, also a very important thing that farmers make. That's part of the thing. Is they can't just make this stuff out of thin air, right? There has to be these inputs going in, and, and they're supporting agriculture to a great extent. Their product also contained a ton of canola oil in their just mayonnaise, this eggless mayonnaise. Where does that canola oil come from, right? 
so so they really are supportive of a ton of uh, agriculture type products. But when I was touring just, I, I also had another revelation of the chef walks into this boardroom and I don't know why they were treating me so nice. I was just looking <laughs> for a tour and they gave me the, the full royal treatment and he whips in and he, he puts it on two plates and he says, one's chicken and one's cellular chicken. Uh, taste them. So I taste both. And he's like, which one do you like? So I point to one. Uh, he's like, yeah, that's the one we made. And then he tells me all about this concept of negative flavor profiles, that because of the, the terpenes and the phenols that we inject into, into animal fat, just as part because they eat plants, it actually lends itself to negative flavor profiles. So they actually made a chicken that tastes more chickeny than chicken. And I tasted it like it's, it's 100% <laughs> true. Their chicken tastes more like chicken than any other chicken that I've ever had. So it's, just, it's completely fascinating and mind-blowing. So I'm heading down. I have um, a speech. I'm going to be on uh, at another conference in San Francisco this year, the Cultured Meat Symposium. So I really implore anybody who's interested in that space or just want to educate yourself, there's some really great conferences going on. It was hilarious at the New Harvest Festival. This is the one in, at MIT. Mm-hmm. I couldn't mm-hmm. find a farmer to save my life until I stood up and talked. And then all of a sudden, everybody started coming out of the woodwork. Here's the delegation. <laughs> from the dairy farmers of america and they didn't they were yeah. pretty quiet until i spoke up and then here's this this big old husky corn-fed boy from nebraska with a meat science degree and he comes out of the woodwork and then we have these farm boys that were from from congress that come over and introduce themselves so there's a lot of interest there's no question they were absolutely blown away but it's a it's a fascinating field that we have to keep our eye in and you know you got to be looking towards that type of stuff when you're running a business too right you have to yep, see yep. what what new technologies are available but then also like is this is, is it a good idea if you gave me a hundred million dollars and said hey cody do you want to invest in uh building a couple feedlots with me right now i don't know i'd have to think long and hard about it this new technology is certainly not going away that i think if there's pieces we can take out of it and we can make what we already do better, I think that's what we have to do to stay in the game. Absolutely. No, you're 100% right. So I'm very enthused. Oh, that, no, Cody, don't that, say any more than that. that. 100% right. That. That's, <laughs> that, <laughs> but it, the challenge, and as you've identified, I mean, you can't, you know, try and just be a little bit ahead. You've got to sometimes jump both feet and change it up completely to kind of you know, go where, where you need this thing to go. Good for you for taking that jump, that leap. And uh, it's really exciting and interesting to hear sort of what you're up to and and where you're going. I want to do the Ontario, Alberta thing real quick before we go here, because normally I would try and challenge a guest with, you know, I'll tell you something that we've got here in Ontario that's really, really good. And then you've got to give me sort of why you've got something out in Alberta that's better. So, but I have to tell you, I, I was having a hard time coming up with things so i'm going to tell you what i think you've got going that's better in alberta and you can add to that for me okay here in ontario (laughs) we have the canadian national exhibition out in in alberta you have the calgary stampede i think you win that one okay Uh, yeah yeah, okay that's good because i'm I'm trying to come up with something here Uh, but then okay here in ontario we have go ahead can we just pick on saskatchewan instead (laughs) join up and pick on saskatchewan (laughs) Um, Ontario had a mu- had much better weather this summer than Alberta did. Oh well, that's good. 
Yeah, well, we did have, I guess it started off real, real wet. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we might get a corn crop still. All right, I'm, I'm really trying here for Ontario, you know, because out in Alberta, you know, you've got Paul Brandt. I'm not a huge country fan, but I, I do know a few of the Paul Brandt songs. In Ontario, like, we've got Justin Bieber. Yeah, that's, that's true. And, and Drake, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, and Drake. Oh. Right? So I think be very he might still that. win that one. All right. Um, you, of course, have the 1980s Edmonton Oilers, and the best I could come up with was the 1990s Toronto Maple Leafs. So how many Stanley Cups did you guys get? I have no idea. <laughs> Oh, well, it's definitely more than the, than we got with the 1990s Toronto Maple Leafs. So. Sometimes people talk about this Gretzky person, and I've never heard of her. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, so I think she's all over YouTube as well. So. <laughs> so you have that in common. Cody, I've enjoyed catching up. Best of luck in your new venture, and we will certainly be following along and seeing what you're doing in the digital world. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, if anybody wants more information, just check out my website. It's just my name, CodyCrowman.com, and uh, a whole bunch of info on there. Great. We will put some links in the show notes and look forward to talking again soon. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. This has been the Ontario iCast. The Ontario iCast is produced by Christine Schoonerwood and is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs, be sure to check out FarmRuralAg.com. If this is the last podcast we ever do, it's been fun. If not, we'll see you next time.